I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles, open up to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 96 today. If you need a Bible, there's one under your seat or under the seat next to you. Um, I was encouraged to preach another message on worship. The last time I preached was in 2019, so I've had about three years to prepare this one. Um, They try to keep me away, but... Um, But I was encouraged to preach on worship through music, and I've been drawn to the book of Psalms lately. If you've heard me talk in uh, some of the different ministries in our church, um, I've been going to the book of Psalms specifically uh, for the topic of worship through music because it's a book of songs. Uh, It's the biggest book in the Bible, and it's a book on songs. And so what a, a better place, there's no better place to go to than the book of Psalms when you're talking about worship. But Psalm 96 is, is particularly uh, intriguing to me. Um, I, I did want to find a psalm that uh, talked of God's steadfast love because that's a common theme through the book of Psalms. And yet um, it's not in this uh, uh, psalm by um, word, but you can see a theme of God's steadfast love anyway. But, but today, what we're going to see in Psalm 96 is that the author commands us to worship the Lord. Just a simple command, worship the Lord. Why didn't they just use one verse? Well, we're going to see why. But there's a command to us to worship the Lord and gives us two main reasons for why we should do so. So hopefully, if if you can get anything out of uh, the sermon today and out of this psalm specifically, it's that we're going to see that we need to worship the Lord and that there's two reasons why we should do so. But look at Psalm 96. Um, let's, let's read it together, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, dive in together. But it says, Psalm 96, verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. God, we recognize how important worship is to you. Specifically, through singing, but most definitely through our life. 
God, as we look at Psalm 96 today, I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would be challenged. I pray that you'd help me to explain it well. God, give us great passion as we consider your glory. Help us to be moved by what we learn today through Psalm 96. God, I pray that we would see a little glimpse of your glory and that it would cause us to change and to be made more like you. Bless us as we consider, consider these words in Psalm 96, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. The world doesn't revolve around you. I heard this a lot as a kid. I don't know if, if has anybody heard that before in their life? How many, how many parents have said that before? The world doesn't revolve around you. I feel like apparently I needed that a lot as a kid. Um, but the world doesn't revolve around you. Why, why, was, why was that said to me a lot? It's because anytime I got in a fight, anytime I whined, anytime I complained, my parents needed to say, Blake, the world doesn't revolve around you. We are, creature, we're, we are creatures that were created to worship. You know this. But because of sin, spiritual blindness, immaturity, our worship gets directed the wrong way. We begin to worship other things, especially ourselves. I want to ask you, what do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your money on? What consumes you? Chances are that's what you worship. The psalmist begins here with a call to worship the Lord. It seems simple, but we need to hear it, right? Give worth where it is due. That's what worship means. Look at, look at verses 1 through 3 again down in Psalm 96. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. These are calls of worship. And song is such a gift. We worship the Lord through singing. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. This gift of song, it helps us tell stories. It helps us memorize content. It augments the mood and emotion of a moment. In the midst of a group, it unifies the crowd delighting in a common thing. Have you ever been to a, a, a live sporting event and the people start singing a song and they sing with one another and you're like, I don't know why we're singing the song except that we're excited about what our team is doing. Song is a gift. And the psalmist says, use that gift of song and sing to the Lord. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. He's not necessarily saying it needs to be a newly composed song, even though it can be that. A new song here, the idea behind a new song is, is find something new to sing about to the Lord. There's something new today. As we gather together as a local church, and as I approach you, even as a leader of our worship team, I want to challenge you that we need to sing. You need to sing. Here we sing songs that whether old or new, they give us a fresh focus, that new song on who God is and what he's done. And it's important for us to choose songs that focus on who God is and what he's done. And so we will always do that. We will always choose songs. Sometimes I hear that we have wordy songs. Amen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that we have wordy songs, but we need content. We need to dwell on who God is and what he's done. But there's, there's a responsibility in, in your court too. 
when we gather together each week, what new story are you ready to praise God for? You probably, maybe you did, and I I don't want to be too exhorting here, but if you need it, listen, did you come in ready to praise God for something new today? What happened this past week? And I'm not just talking about victories. I'm talking about trials, hard times. Are you ready to say before the Lord, praise you. I've got this new victory. I've got this new song. I saw your grace this week. I saw your mercy this week. I want to encourage you to be ready each week as you gather together, specifically with this group. Come together ready to sing and to sing that new song. The psalmist leads us again, look back down at it. it says, sing to the Lord all the earth. So he's not just talking to here, Israel. He's not just talking to the church, but the whole earth is in mind here. There's an emphasis building, do you see it, about singing? But notice who he addresses, it's all the earth. This ancient psalm was for the people of God, and yet, even in the Old Testament, there's a reality that God's will is for all nations to worship the Lord, not just Israel. On this side of the cross, we know that the church now carries that song of the redeemed. We have a great responsibility. And this is why we view missions as the pursuit of more worshipers for God. Missions is to go out and tell people of who God is and what he's done, to tell them the good news of how they can be saved so that they can sing to the Lord. We can recall the heart of Jesus before his ascension in Acts 1.8 when he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, okay, that's Israel, in all Judea, in Samaria, and then what does it say? And to the end of the earth. He said, sing to the Lord all the earth. It's important for us to remember as the church today that our weekly gathering, this time that we get together, that when we gather, we are part of that plan to go out. So share the good news. Make disciples, even for the end of helping people come to worship the Lord in singing, and they will join us. Look back down, it says, the psalm, the psalm says it again a third time. Look at verse two. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. So you notice the three commands to sing. The emphasis is complete. These words aren't just here just because the psalmist is like, well, sing, sing, sing. No, this is, this is precise. This has a purpose the emphasis here, we are commanded to worship through singing. Some have indicated that this may be linked to the three-in-one nature of our God, but one thing is for certain, it's a command. Some of you come to church and you don't sing. Some of you come to church and you make fun of the singing. Some of you go to another church and you make fun of their singing. How arrogant is that? How arrogant would it be for me as a worship leader to mock another church for the way that they worship the Lord as long as they're doing it in spirit and in truth and it was so much different than ours. If the content is right, if their hearts are sincere, praise God that they sing. You are called to sing. Parents, 
Are you singing? Do your kids see you sing? Believer, does the church see you sing? Or do you come and try to hold it together? Maybe singing is emotional for you. It should be. It grabs onto the heart. It lifts the emotions. It actually stokes what's going on in your heart. But music is a gift. And that gift is supposed to direct your emotions. And so instead of the worship team getting up here and trying to stir that within our church, our philosophy of ministry is we're going to pick content first. We're going to find truth. We're going to find songs that talk about biblical truth, about who God is and what he's done, and let the songs, let the music carry that truth to your heart. So then you can respond. But you have to respond. You are called to sing. This isn't a show. This isn't American Idol. We don't want a a synopsis on how did Corey sing today when he led. This is about us all singing together. We see the example of singing in the Bible, right, with Jesus in Hebrews 2, citing Psalm 22. Jesus, the author of salvation, sings among the congregation. We've even gone through Ephesians 5, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. Colossians 3, to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and that's to one another. We worship the Lord through singing. So I want to exhort you, like the psalmist, to sing. Sing. (laughs) Sing. If you take anything away from the worship pastor that gets up today, it's come to the church to sing. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord, and he says, look down at it, it says, bless his name. Bless here is to praise. It fits along with the singing, and his name has to do with his reputation, who he is, and what he's done. Spurgeon says, his name, his fame, his character, his revealed word and will are to be delighted in and remembered with perpetual thanksgiving. Sing about the creator. Sing about the ancient of days. Sing about our great redeemer. Psalm 96 calls us to worship the Lord by singing. But the psalmist also calls us to worship the Lord by declaring or proclaiming. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, Tell of salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. There's a telling, there's a proclaiming, there's a declaring. We're obviously called to declare the gospel. We know that as as believers in the church. But what about his salvation day to day? That's that victory that I was talking about. Are you ready to come together and tell what God has done? Israel was used to this. Israel had so many times walked away from the Lord, followed their own ways, and time and time again, there was a testimony of God's faithfulness, of God's victory. It was a day-to-day, God showing his mercy, God showing his grace. And here we see that God is telling us, tell of his salvation day-to-day. It says in verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. Again, God's people were called to spread good news about his glory. 
Remember God's promise in the Abrahamic covenant? It wasn't just about blessing Abraham, even though that was part of it, but it was about blessing the nations. God's heart, as you see consistent here, is to bless the nations. He wants you, he wants the nations to praise the Lord. And we're thankful for those, that us, for those of us that aren't part of Israel, right? We're thankful that God has made a way for us to be part of God's family. God's people are called to declare his glory among the nations. And then verse three, it says, declare, the, the implication there is declare, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 78 is a great example of what Israel would do when they would recall God's marvelous works to and through Israel. We're not going to go through it right now because it's a longer psalm, but I encourage you to read through it and just watch how they recall the history of what happened in Egypt in Psalm 78. Under the new covenant, the church continues to declare his marvelous works as we retell the redemption story. Think about what we have in scripture. Think about what we have on this side of the cross, the Old and New Testament. One of the most important things we do together weekly is hear God's word proclaimed. The preaching of God's word is the declaring of his marvelous works among all the peoples. Worship through preaching and worship through singing, they go hand in hand. And they're not meant to be at odds with one another. I hate it when I hear people say, oh, I, love, I love that church. The singing is awesome, but the preaching's... Uh. Or, man, I love that church. The preaching is amazing, but the singing is... Uh. There's a disconnect, right? Preaching and singing, they, go, they should complement one another. Our corporate singing, it needs to help us prepare to hear his marvelous works. So when we sing, we're getting ready to hear God's word proclaimed. And then we get to respond to God's word. We get to praise through singing after we've heard what was preached. We're going to do that in a little bit. The psalmist is clear, though. He calls all people to worship the Lord by singing and declaring his works. In verses 4 through 6, as we move on, he begins to unfold the reason for our worship, the reason for our praise. We worship the Lord because there is no one like him. He is what? He's holy. God is holy. Look down at it, verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Verse four says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. There's no one better. Do you believe that? He is the source of all good. There's no one like that. We'll see soon that he is the righteous faithful and sovereign ruler over all things. Who can you say that about but God? Consider the preeminence of Christ in Colossians 1, verse 15. It says, he's the image of the invisible God, speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Do you know anybody like that other than Christ? Keep going. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We have a holy God. There is none like him. He is great and greatly to be praised. Look down at verse four again. It says, he is to be feared above all gods. Is this a fear of our creator? Yes. Sometimes we're uncomfortable with that, but yes, he is our creator. Be fearful. He's the sustainer. You go to sleep at night and you wake up because of him. Have fear. Have healthy fear. Is it a fear because he's our judge? Absolutely. How amazing is it that we are going to face our creator and sustainer one day as our judge? But here's the beauty. Here's his holiness. But our judge is also our savior. He's the justifier. Our God is also our heavenly father. We can run to him. There's a healthy fear of our sovereign authority, but he's also our refuge. He is our hiding place. He is to be feared above all gods. He's to be feared above all gods because he's actually real. (laughs) There's no other God. They're all made up. Look at verse five. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. The meaning here is they're, a, they're nothing. They're actually non-entities. These gods are nothing. What can a block of wood do? Can it create? Can it love? Can it organize? Can it control all things? Can it have compassion? Can it send its only son to die in your place, to save you from the wrath that should be on you because of the punishment that you deserve for your sin. All other gods were created by men, every one of them. The praise they claim really belongs to those men that created them. Turn to Jeremiah 10 real quick. I wanna show you this contrast. This passage is amazing. Jeremiah 10, it's a little bit further to the right in your Bible. If you're swiping, uh, you can find it. You can search it, right? But look at Jeremiah 10, verse 1. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens. Because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down, listen to this process, and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammers and nails so it cannot move. 
their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. And they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Then look at what it says, verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. Then look what it says. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. And then it says, thus shall you say to them, speaking of Jeremiah, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And yet we have a God who created the heavens. Go back to Psalm 96. The Lord actually made the heavens. Man-made idols will literally perish and be no more. He is the creator, not some created thing. This explains why God is holy. There is none like him. For us today, what idols are you creating? We, we, we do this a lot with the kids uh, over in Seeds when we, when we sing songs. But there's not a lot in this group that I imagine that we have these man-made idols uh, in our homes. But we have a really easy access to all of our idols right here. What do you do on this? You're making your idols. What you spend your time on, whether it's yourself or some sports team that you worship or some celebrity that you worship, you're making your own idol. You're directing your attention, your heart to something that isn't God, that is going to perish. God is the one who made the heavens. He is the everlasting God. Look at verse 6. Splendor and majesty are before him. As creator, he's king over his creation. Consider the splendor of the universe that man continues to explore. We continue to see pictures of space and how much more vast it is. That's our creator. Glory be to God. Look at the heavens. Look at the topography of our planet. Look at the animal kingdom in its variety. Think about your own body. Think about the nervous system, your vascular system. Consider the wonder of a baby being formed in the womb of its mother, like we hear of in Psalm 139. Splendor and majesty, like it says in verse 6, are before him. Not some idol that we create. Again, we're exploring why our God is holy. Look at verse six again. It says, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. 
Consider the righteousness of God and his standard, his perfection, his strength against sin and evil. Think about the wrath he has prescribed as the eternal punishment for sin. Think about hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In his strength, in his wisdom, he created hell. No one else did. And consider, just along with that, consider his mercy. (laughs) Praise God. Consider his patience and compassion to us. Consider your time here on earth that God has given us to repent and believe. What a valuable thing. Consider his grace shown through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's strength. That's beauty. Consider the gift of faith that allows us to enter his presence. We see this in Hebrews 10. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, I mean, just think about, think about his beauty in this. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. They're in his courts. They're in his presence. His strength, his perfection, his mercy, his grace, all given to us through Christ, surround him and we get to approach our great God through Christ. There is no other God that fits that description. He is holy, amen? The first point is that while the psalmist calls all people, that's Jews, Gentiles, and really all peoples to the ends of the earth to worship the Lord, he's calling us to worship the Lord because there is no God like him. He's holy. So again, when we sing songs with the gathered church, We don't sing songs, and you'll notice this, that spend too much time focused on us. And that's by design. Remember, the world doesn't revolve around us. We are needy. We are broken. And we need to proclaim that. We need to confess through our singing. But we need to not stop there. And I think sometimes modern day worship does that. They just kind of wallow in the sorrow that is our mess and it is a mess and if you stay there it's depressing when we worship together specifically through song we we have to choose songs that as Coughlin says magnify the greatness of God in Jesus Christ not magnify ourselves not magnify our problems we know let's just say it right now our problems are big enough they're huge They're weighty. When we have this limited amount of time together as a body, we need to focus 
on who God is and what he's done, his strength and beauty. That's why we sing biblically informed songs. We don't want to cause confusion. We don't want to choose songs that make people go, is that about a girl or was that about Jesus? I, I can't tell, right? And I, there's some really great songs out there, but when we gather together to sing together, we're going to sing songs that are clear about who God is. The music, and understand this, the music is there to complement the content, not the other way around. We, we want to have songs that are, uh, that are excellent in their music, that require skill and require our team to get better at what we do, but the music is there to complement the content. Our goal at Grace Church of, of the Valley is to sing songs that lead our minds and hearts to worship the Lord, for He is holy. So Psalm 96 also calls us to worship the Lord again. It's the same command, but secondly, it's because he is our king. Look look back down at uh, verse 7. We kind of go into a new section here, and look at the parallel that it has as the beginning of the psalm. It says, sing, sing, sing. We have ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. Look at what it says. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We see that we are called to worship the Lord, and immediately we see a call. This is interesting. It really becomes a missions psalm. We see a call to worship to the nations. It's a call of worship to the nations. Verse 7 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. We see similar language in Psalm 29, but the call there is to worship the, the Lord. The, the call is directed to heavenly beings. Here, the psalmist calls the families of the peoples to give unto God what is due him. When you hear ascribe to the Lord, it means give unto God what is due him. Keep reading. Look at verse seven. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Give God credit for his glory. Consider what he's done. Give that unto him. Give God credit for his strength. How has God shown you his glory this past week? Give God credit for that. Even through the sorrow. You you might be stuck in the sorrow, in the trial right now. You can give God credit even though you don't see the end goal If you believe God's promises, you know he is working this together for what? For your good and for his what? His glory. Those of you that have been in the Lord long enough, you can do that. You can look back at what God has done in your life and go, that was his glory. That trial was his glory. That sorrow, that grief. So even in the midst of the trial, you can give credit to God. You can ascribe to the Lord glory and strength He says, ascribe to the Lord a third time. Look at it, verse eight. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. The three ascribes, they, they do parallel the three sings found at the beginning of the psalm. And once again, there's an emphasis here. Give unto God what is due him. There's no other option. Ascribe to the Lord his glory. Don't give it to any other. 
not yourself. That tends to be what we do. We tend to some point try to get in the way and be like, yeah, I did that. I found the strength. I, I think modern day Christianity tries to do this, right? The self-esteem movement. We got to lift up ourselves. We got to be excited about what God's doing in us. And it's almost like, no, that's his glory. Your weakness, your weakness amplifies his strength. Just as much as your sin shows off his mercy and grace. Give unto God what is due him. Don't give it to anyone else. Just consider the glory due his actual name. The great I am. Yahweh, as mentioned in Exodus 3. I love this. Piper points out 10 things. The proper name Yahweh, I am, actually says about God. There's 10 of them. I think they're on your screen. This is what I am means about God. It means he never had a beginning. Nobody made God. God's, God simply is and always was. There's no beginning. Number two, God will never end. If he did not come into being, he cannot go out of being because he is being. Number three, God is absolute reality. There is no reality before him. There is no reality outside of him unless he wills it and makes it. Number four, God is utterly independent. He depends on nothing to bring him into being or support him or counsel him or make him what he is. This is what I am means. Look at five. Everything that is not God depends totally on God. The entire universe is utterly secondary. He's the I am. Look at six. All the universe is by comparison to God as nothing. All that we are amazed by in the world and in the galaxies is compared to God as nothing. Number seven, God is constant. This is what I am means. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot be improved. He is not becoming anything. He is who he is. I am. God is the absolute standard. This is number eight. God is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. He himself is the standard of what is right, what is true, what is beautiful. Number nine, God does whatever he pleases, and it is always right and always beautiful and always in accord with truth. All reality that is outside of him, he created and designed and governs as the absolute reality so he is utterly free from any constraints that don't originate from the counsel of his own will. He's the great I am. And number 10, God is the most important and most valuable reality and person in the universe. He is more worthy of interest and attention and ad admiration and enjoyment than all other realities, including the entire universe. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. He is the great I am. Verse eight continues the invitation to the nations, look at it, to come worship the Lord. Bring an offering and come into his courts. To bring an offering is to recognize that all things belong to God. In the Old Testament, the courts were God's temple, God's tabernacle. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says that I will build my church 
And in 1 Peter 2, 5, Peter says to us, watch this, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is how we approach the Lord together. This is an invitation to the Gentiles only made possible through Christ. In verse 9, he says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. <clears throat> the splendor of his holiness. This is, this is uh, temple language. This is tabernacle language. The splendor of his holiness refers to a holy attire that would be suitable and proper as for somebody that's approaching the Lord in his actual sanctuary. Spiritually, as we come before the Lord, we approach him clothed with appropriate attire. <coughs> Excuse me. The splendor of holiness that we are covered in, it's not robes. It's not um, fancy gold that has been carefully sewn on our garments. It's the righteousness of Christ by the grace of the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We come before the Lord to worship in the splendor of holiness because of what Christ has done. And we tremble before him. Look at verse nine. Tremble before him all the earth. To tremble before the Lord is to recognize his authority, to fear him as sovereign king over all of creation. Look at verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. God's sovereign rule over creation can never be moved. And one day, he will make all things right through his fair justice. Notice the heart of missions here. The call of worship specifically to the nations. We get easily comfortable where we are. And especially here in America, I'm, I'm always challenged to hear um, guys like Piper and, and others that challenge us to be missions-minded. Um, my friend Ryan Colburn, who uh, is constantly, Blake, we, we gotta think about this, we gotta think about that, about missions. That's the point. God hasn't given us the gospel so that we can have the ticket and then it just stops there. <sighs> I'm safe. I get to go to heaven. It's about proclaiming his glory to others. And I recognize that's, that's in your home, with the unbelievers in your home. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your town. It's in the valley. But it's to all the nations. It's to those nations that, that can't understand the word of God yet. We have to get behind the heart that's here to spread the good news to the nations so that they can approach the Lord in the splendor of holiness because of what Christ has done. Ross says, the, the wonderful saving works of the Lord have revealed that he is the sovereign ruler, but at the great day of the Lord that is coming, the people of the world will finally realize his absolute eternal reign, and then people will have no choice but to acclaim his kingship. 
And we've been given the task of taking that message so that they can do that as his children. But he not only calls the nations to worship, he finishes up by calling on all creation. Look at verse 11. He says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Let the trees sing for joy before the Lord. It says, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. This is the call to creation. It's, it's understanding that as, as Christ returns, we're not gonna be the only ones responding in worship. He's calling all of creation to sing, to praise, to recognize who is their ruler. And then the psalmist in verse 13 shows why the nations and all creation worship the Lord. And he goes back to this idea that he is our king. Look at verse 13. It says, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is a cause for joy. That's why he says, to nature. He says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. He's going to set everything right. As judge, he's going to make everything right. I think sometimes for me as a, as a worship leader and as a fellow worshiper with you, I kind of get stuck on how the gospel affects me and my life. And, and that's a great, it's a great reason to praise the Lord, Right? but there's a bigger picture outside of what God has done for me. There's more going on, right, than the world just revolving around me. And as we gather as a church, I I was challenged this week to think of the kingdom, to think of a king that is going to judge and make all things right. Things are upside down right now. We especially see that, but we've seen that over history. Things have always been messed up. And there's this constant looking to that Christ is gonna make all things right. John 3.17 talks about the Messiah's coming. His first coming was not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But Revelation 22.7 talks about, and behold, I am coming soon. He's coming again to make things right. And he's faithful to return. It says that he will judge the peoples in his faithfulness. Psalm 96 is calling all people, Jews, Gentiles, all peoples to the ends of the earth, even creation, to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord because he is a faithful and righteous king. So what's the challenge for us? What do you think about when you worship the Lord? Specifically, different acts of worship. So when you sing, what are you thinking about? Are you analyzing music? Are you thinking about uh, how weird some of us look uh, that are leading Are you thinking about your music preferences and how frustrated you are? Or how happy you are that we've 
hit the, you know, the, the dot of, of what you uh, deem as acceptable? Or are you thinking about our king and his kingdom? What about when you interact with one another? You worship the Lord by loving one another. Who are you thinking about? Are you thinking about getting glory for yourself? Are you thinking about glorifying the Lord in his kingdom? Psalm 96 is a psalm of joy. It's a call for us to worship the Lord because he is holy. There is no God like him, but he is king. Worship the Lord because there's something bigger going on and you're part of the plan. We are part of spreading the good news to the nations and to the ends of the earth. So get on board. Get your mind right. I I had to be challenged. I'm not thinking enough about what God is doing with his kingdom. Philippians 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every knee. And in heaven and on earth and under the earth, Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember, the world doesn't revolve around you. Worship the Lord for he is holy and he is king. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna actually have some time. We usually sing one song to respond. We're gonna sing two uh, just to even respond uh, to this psalm specifically to worship our holy and great king, our God who is to be praised. Let's pray.